Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to the very first episode of The High Low. Bloody hell, it's good to be here finally. Land sakes a goshen, we're excited to bring this to you. <laughs> um, yes, as Dolly says, holy crap, it's been a lot of work. For those of you that assume we have been fiddling with our nail fungus... Thank you rather- for all those emails, by the way, we <laughs> loved those. Telling us we were being really idle. Um, <laughs> rather than creating a brand new podcast, we will have you know that we have been brainstorming our new name. Uh, we've gone through some very interesting ones on route. Yes, uh, I can't remember most of them, but there were some zeitgeist and dolls made an appearance again. That was back on the list. There was a lot of blondes on blonde, blonde, babe, blonde fun. It kind of sounded babe station, also a bit like an 80s pop duo. (laughs) So we abandoned those. So we've been creating a new podcast with a new name, um, some zhuzhi new artwork with the help of Eva Salvi, Natalia Bagnoshka and Fash Gif. We have commissioned a jazzy jingle from the super talented Lauren Benson. And it is jazzy. It is jazzy. I think everyone would agree it is jazzy. It's very high low. Um, And and we've hooked up with a super cool new producer, Charlie. We miss you, Dave, and we hope travelling the world with your fiancé is super fun. But uh, we're devoted to Charlie now. And we've also been finding our new studio home at SNK Studios in Tottenham Court Road. And they give us, like, water and lollies. It's got a I lolly. Know. I know. I'm going to unwrap it at some point and I'll try and do it really surreptitiously. And Dolly will go, are you unwrapping your lolly? It's like business class. <laughs> I'd also like to mention a shout-out to Dave that there was a moment where we were so attached to him, we sort of suggested that he didn't take this trip <laughs> so he could continue being our Produce. But anyway, hope you're having a good time, Dave. As you may have gathered, the Pandoli podcast is no more. R.I.P. Pandoli. Fun while it lasted. The High Low is our new independent project, uh, a bit like Pandora. Yes, I have now left the Sunday Times, which was a sad but also exciting decision. Um, so like a brand new podcast, I am a new independent woman and I've had a really interesting month adjusting to freelance life. Dolly got a bit worried when I kept sending her pictures of me in tracksuits, but I snapped out of it. I'm back to yeah, normality. Yeah, the tracksuit days are over. It was when you teamed them with the bloody Crocs when I really started worrying. Um, <laughs> yes, so Pandora is now an independent woman. Um, <laughs> my Sunday Times style dating column uh, is no more, so it has been an adventurous time for us both, particularly for me. Um, I'm now going on dates and uh, I don't have to write about them, which is, is quite Is that quite weird? Yeah, Are you I thinking, went, what's my story, what's my story? Completely. I went on a date last week with a guy and it was perfectly nice and relaxed. And halfway through, I went to the loo and I was like so used to, I was like oh my god I don't have to make this this like copy, awful copy, copy. Miranda Hart like slapstick caper or I don't <laughs> have to like make him my husband tomorrow this can just be a nice date so yes that's taking some adjusting too um, um, but new horizons for both of us new horizons and um, together we will be bringing you our weekly news and pop culture podcast The High Low The High Low so we aim to bring it to you by 8am every Wednesday but please be aware that sometimes it may be other days as we're juggling kind of 
other projects and obligations. And also, you know, I've had a fringe cut since uh, we last recorded and that's <laughs> taking up so much of my time managing that. Um, and also occasionally, very, very occasionally, we might have a week off. Yes, perish the thought of a week off, she says, as she boards a plane to Jamaica for a wedding. As you listen to this, I will be en route to the airport. Um, but yeah, the high-low, back, back to the high-low, not my holiday. The high-low <laughs> is based on the founding message that life is best consumed with a mix of the trivial and the political, the errant chin hair to the Trumpian politics, if you will. Or as I like to say, looking at stories far and wide from brows high and low. I was talking to my mum about the high-low and she said... So whatever the height of your brow, there's something for everyone. And I was like, mm, yes, mum, you should have worked in advertising. <laughs> um, some people actually thought it was based on Dolly being high, i.e. tall, and me being low, i.e. small. And also because um, I'm always smoking the ganja and you're always <laughs> depressed. <laughs> And I had to remind people that, no, Dolly is not one and I am not the other. Although if you look at our artwork, I am cradling the low. Um, <laughs> the high-low um, is based on the Vanity Fair editor of the 80s, Tina Brown, a very inspirational woman who coined the term high-low media. And it just really encompasses how Dolly and I live our lives and use our brains. You shouldn't be ashamed of deep liking Kylie Jenner on Instagram. That sounds like something else. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's an interesting one, deep com- liking. Compound yeah. verb there. Uh, in the same way that finishing a particularly turgid piece of prose should not make you feel superior. So tonally, we're all on the level. For those of you who were fond, attached to the Pandoli format, the format to the high-low will be similar. There'll be obviously some tweaks here and there, but... Um, Please do spare us your tweets if we preferred your early albums. <laughs> Things have got to change. We all move on. Um, but it will generally kind of feel like it's the same shape. Yeah. Um, you can get in touch with The High Low um, at The High Low Show on Twitter. I was really overexcitedly retweeting everyone's um, messages to us. when T- I- It was a touch basic. <laughs> I said to Dolly, is it too much? She was like, no, darling, I think it's, fi- I think it's fine now. But it's when fine we launch now. it, you might want to ease off. Um, and you can get in touch with us at Gmail show at gmail.com Please do ask us any questions and let us know any feedback. I've really missed doing this podcast with you. There was That's like, there was um, 10 weeks where I just had no appropriate forum to discuss all the really important <laughs> things we need to talk about. Like, we, we haven't talked about um, the affair. Oh my God. Yes, yes, that was... Oof. I'm quite glad we didn't have to talk about oh, the affair. I know, I know. And also, the, you know, the potential hardness or softness of Brexit. All this stuff, <laughs> oh, we, this, haven't, we haven't had a public Also sounds platform. quite porny. And drones! Oh. Do you remember when I found that? Um, oh my God, that's going to be really soaring down someone's ear during their commute. Drones! <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I found that £1,300 drone that hovered above your head in case of rain. So you'd be just pootling down the pavement and this little drone would be zzz above your head. I know. And then when it rained, an umbrella would shoot out. And we were so sad. We were so sad. So we were like, if only we could talk about I this. I was really sorrowful. I had nowhere to talk about it. I mean, it. we could talk about it. It just, it wouldn't be recorded. I think I did tweet it and no one replied. Also, I have been longing for today's episode so that I could tell everyone to buy or at least read all the great articles about a new book by Adam Alter called Irresistible, Why We Can't Stop Checking, Scrolling, Clicking and Watching. So it's basically about social media addiction and it sounds absolutely fascinating. I don't I, think I, I'm too scared to read so it. So there's some amazing, um, there's a really brilliant article by Oliver Thring for the Sunday Times Culture magazine that came out on Sunday and he put all sorts of insight into there. Like China now has, guess how many, actually, guess how many clinics China has treating internet addiction? You can't see my snippets so you won't know. Mm, five. 
five. China's enormous. 400. Has 400 clinics treating internet addiction. And there's That's also... insane. There's also a World of Warcraft treatment centre in Oregon for um, for addicts. Is that is that a ga- like a game? W- World of Warcraft? Yeah. It's got like 100 million subscribers worldwide. Like massive, massive I've game. really missed this as well. I've really Biggest missed my game. ignorance of World the Zeitgeist being revealed publicly. World of Warcraft must be going on for about 10 years. Um, I'm terrified of having a son who wants to play video games for 18 hours a day. That's that's how long some of these people play World of Warcraft. I think they're so insidious and dangerous. And actually, Oliver Thring wrote in his piece, um, he flagged up an app called Moment, which tracks how much time a user spends on his or her iPhone. I um, need to do that. Yeah, I think we should download it mm, this yes, week. Yes, and then see what we do. Yeah. And then report back It's kind of like week. my fitness pal. Well, it will tell you. So it told him that he had checked his phone 80 times that day and that he had spent two hours on his phone. I think mine would be more. I'm really realising how bad it is. It depends. If I'm at my computer, I'll be on my phone a lot less because I'm doing my emails and my filing for now. I'm so addicted, I sometimes will be sitting on Twitter. And sitting on it. I was I've got an image on of you just squashing your phone. <laughs> I will be sitting on my computer looking at Twitter and I will get my phone out to refresh Twitter. That's how bad I am. Wait, you're sitting on Twitter on your computer? Yes, and I'll get my phone to refresh because it's so just like muscle memory. I'm so used to doing it, even though I'm looking at the Twitter homepage. It's really bad. I, I've, I've realised recently how bad it's got, so maybe maybe I do need to read that Yeah, I think, you should do, I, I think you should read the book and I think you should um, download Get a Life. Moment. Um, and we're also going to do a book recommendation every week. Um, we both read a lot and that's always proved popular with people. Yeah, people are always asking our book recommendations. Yeah, Dol, what's yours this week? Mine this week is Home Cooking by Laurie Colwyn, which is a beautiful series of food essays. And it's just lovely. And there's recipes intersliced. Intersliced? Is that the... Interspersed. Interspersed. Um, Have throughout. you put that on the Dolly Mail before? I recognise this. No, I Instagrammed it the other day, a passage about potato yes! salad. Potato salad. Yeah, it's, yes, um, so good. If you love food, uh, which obviously I do... Um, and you love kind of the machinations and traditions and history the and the storytelling of it, then you should definitely read it. It's it's a charming, charming book. So my book recommendations, I've been reading lots in the past few weeks, but actually I haven't read anything this year that I was completely obsessed with. I did read a book over New Year, and I'm about to start another one by her, by um, Jamie Attenberg. She is my obsession at the moment. She is a Jewish writer from New York, and I have bought all of her books. Having... Oh, you, is this one you told me? Yeah, to? yeah. I, keep, I sort of keep telling everyone to read yeah. it. And I'm also really enjoying short stories. Um, I was listening to another great podcast called Seriously by the New Statesman. We love Cut that podcast. podcast. Yeah, hi, Seriously. The sisterhood of podcasts. Yes, the sister of podcast, <laughs> the lady podcasters, as I hate to refer to it. Oh, but Christ. um, but they flagged up uh, some short stories called the short. I can't remember who they're by. And then another short story compilation as well. Anyway, short stories in all forms. Well, like the short story form. <laughs> Short, short stories. stories, perhaps, by all authors. All um, so I'm really enjoying the short story. Have I talked about the short story enough? It's like you when love, I... You've always loved short stories, haven't you? Yes, I, um, I do. They are. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. My fave. Masses has been happening this week. Before we get to the inevitable O, 
not orgasms, Oscars. Boring. Um, <laughs> God, ever the dating columnist. We're going to talk about girls because Dolly and I were completely floored by the latest episode in the sixth and final series. That is episode three. If you are not watching Girls, we implore you to. It's the most brilliant piece of writing. I and it's care. just getting better and better. I, I don't and care better. if you hated season one, two or three. I fell by the wayside, I think, in the middle, maybe season mm. four. Mm. But Lena Dunham and her writing in particular have evolved so much. And I really believe that the this series is telly history. They agree. feel like short films. I completely agree. Um, actually, I dipped in series four as well, but I was very impressed with series five. Everything was tied together really artfully. I thought the references went deeper, the subjects went darker, the relationships were more strained and examined, so it's much more psychological. The adults, the parents, they were all the bosses, they were all written. All fleshed out. Really fleshed out, and really cameos, fully and my really well. God, the cameos are just the, the cameos people. were great. And it shows how omnipotent she is now in Hollywood that oh, you yeah, are she getting pull anyone in. massive yeah. people doing cameos. Yeah. Why would you not? You would be honoured to be asked to be a part of that show. Um, last series, there was an amazing episode that Pandora and I were both obsessed with called uh, The Panic in Central Park with Alison Williams and... Oh, the one where she goes back to her... Ex-boyfriend, Charlie. For an episode. Oh, my God, yes. And it was very dark and it was very sad and it was very powerful and that was based, well, inspired by Joan Didion's film that she made with her husband called The Panic in Needle Park. So it's just all those references. She's come out. Alison she- Williams is like, people are really watching her, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, people are watching all of them, to be fair, but I feel like Alison Williams, she's just been really brilliant. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, so I loved last series. Thought the music was used so well, and characters were developing properly. The jokes were really funny, and I didn't think it'd get any better. I was actually quite nervous about the series because last series was so good. I worried it peaked kind of at the eleventh hour. But the series man is is the series even, man. But it's so good, so good man, so good man. Um, it's even more sophisticated. It's taking on social commentary, which is just such a brave and useful thing to do. This last episode I watched, and then immediately. Watched it again and demanded you that it Pandora. Twice? Yeah, I watched Pandora. Oh, I feel like I'm behind. Demanded Pandora watch it. Um, so, bottle episode all happens in one place and one time. It's in real time. It mirrors another brilliant episode from series two in which she. Did you watch that one where she met the divorcee and the chance encounter in a coffee Hannah. shop? Yes, yeah, and yeah. she goes so to Brownstone. Yeah. Yes, Hannah Horvath does. And it becomes a kind of intense two hander. Many critics, the New Yorker, have said they kind of are like she writes them like a play, which this, def- this episode definitely felt like. So, yeah. this episode, Hannah Horvath goes to meet, goes to a beautiful Spoiler New York. Spoiler alert, by the way, we are yeah. literally going to do a preface of the entire. <laughs> Entire episode and talk about why we found it really powerful. So fast forward, if, yeah. If you so, so, so fast forward if you really don't want us to spoil but it. But most people that I saw on Twitter have watched it and were equally flawed by it. Um, Hannah Horvath goes to a beautiful New York apartment to meet a very successful older male writer who has asked her to go to his home. She has written an article for a feminist website about a slew of allegations that have been made against him by female. They're college students, aren't they? Mm, I think so. These allegations have been made online about how he forced them into blowjobs. Yeah. Okay. So spoiler. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Um, so she enters his art. You know, she goes into his apartment and she finds this rather. Um, ooh, that's water, like by the way. Wine. That's not like the Christmas special when we were roaring <laughs> those, through prosecco. For those of you that remember that episode, um, so she finds this rather tragic figure in an amazing loft, and she goes, "I didn't realise writers made this much money." Which I love is, that line. Which is such a great sort of meta joke because if yeah. anyone has watched Lena Dunham's um, seventy-three questions with US Vogue, you'll know that she's making a lot of money. Anyway, he ends up making her 
feel very bad for judging him on what he says, a consensual instance. He says, you know, I'm really horny, sure, and I've got the self-control of a toddler, but I'm fallible. And he's like, oh, God, you're actually really funny. You're really special. I picked you to come and talk to me. That's um, it's really creepy. That yeah, bit. I picked you to come and talk to me because, you know, you're such an amazing writer. And she's thinking, OK, I got him wrong. You know, he really respects me. He respects my writing. And there's an excellent New Yorker piece that Dolly was talking about, which we will tweet after the show that you should read. Um, and they trade books they love. And then he says, I just want to lie down. I'm tired. And by that point, you know, she thinks they're friends. She lies down next to him and it's all very platonic. And she goes, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for writing this. You're right. I don't I don't know you. I don't I, I don't I don't know your story. And he goes, that's mm. OK. And then he whacks his dick onto her thigh. And it's such a strangely smooth move as it's well. It's such a smooth it's move. It's so rehearsed. And your eyes just, you go, ah! mm. I think I did that mm. alone whilst watching it in my room. And you realise in an instant that he wants her to know that she isn't special. Mm. He didn't ask her here because she was special. He asked her here to show how easy it is to make a woman feel like they're special and get her to lie down next to you and how very, very easy it is to get her to touch the head of your penis. And the episode ends with this stream of glorious women going into the apartment after Hannah and Hannah just realising with utter shame and total ego shattering because it is her ego that has, mm. has led her to this point that she is just one of them just another young talented woman falling for his bullshit she went in there specifically to call him out yeah. on this bullshit and, and she fell for it and, that's, and the ending as well is so powerful because obviously it's kind of surreal and it's like they are metaphorical women uh, that's how mm. I read it that are that are kind of streaming in after her. Yes, absolutely. All the, all the future victims that will fall prey to him. Um, it's an extremely confronting, uncomfortable piece of TV. It explores something incredibly complex and important and something that is very close to Lena Dunham's heart, obviously, as she's written about it and spoken out so eloquently and passionately before, which is the topic of consent and power. Um and this episode is a conversation about, as as the character herself refers to it in the episode, the alleged grey area of consent. She says at some point, I'm so fucking sick of grey areas. Um, and it's about how someone can be coerced, manipulated or abused without being penetratively raped. It's giving a very real voice and showing the flip side of a very old and depressingly familiar story in which a victim is told she or he wanted it or didn't shout stop or if you didn't want to have sex with him why did you have a drink with him all that kind of stuff that's what it's a response to it shows another side to that tale finally a man in great power who knows his currency over women with low self-esteem who thanks to the patriarchal society we, we live in has been silenced or made to feel invisible corners someone and makes them feel special, makes them feel like they exist, as, as Hannah's character says. And and the best part is it's not Hannah Horvath becoming this Jiminy Cricket of the whole thing, lecturing everyone on morality. She herself falls victim to it. You see it in action. But also I think the really interesting thing is she's. I don't think she's passive in this. I don't think she's a passive victim. I think she's an active victim, if there is such a thing, in that she actively makes these choices whilst analysing everything she's doing. And she yeah, and still she still is manipulated. And also, I felt complicit as a viewer. I was completely exactly. fooled. I exactly. believed everything he was saying. I started feeling sorry for him. I was Hannah. I was Hannah, except I did not have an actual penis on my thigh. I had a metaphorical one. But that's it. You, you, that's why it's so clever and that's why it's such sophisticated, multi-layered writing because you watch her get fooled, even as the audience we are fooled. She thinks she has the upper hand and then you see exactly the same thing happen to her. It's an immersive viewing experience. That's why, that's why it feels quite like a play because exactly. it, is, it is very immersive. And yeah. the thing is, is, I can't believe this was written nine months ago. Um, 
I just think it's so damn clever because look where we are culturally, politically and societally. Mm. It's so prescient because we're in a time where... Spookily so. Spookily prescient. Trump is basically putting his unwelcome dick on strangers' Mm. thighs. President Trump is a dick on a thigh. Thigh dicking (laughs) is the new pussy grabbing. Well, as as Pandora says, this this we I don't know the exact timeline, but this would have been written way before Pussy Grabbing Gate, or um, rather, as we've newly anointed Thigh Dick Gate, um, which is all about a man thinking that his status or power or talent is above that of morality, and that somehow sex is his game, and you know women are his free playground because he's in the public eye. What's that thing that that awful thing that? Trump says in that transcript, the pussy-grabbing transcript, because you're a star, he says. Oh, I don't know that. I think he says, because you're a star. Well, I'm, I'm really interested in this, yeah, I mean, on the subject of Trump, because of this idea of fact and fiction as well, um, of post-truth politics and fake news, because I was most interested... Dolly said, watch this episode of Girls, we have to talk about it. And I would have watched it anyway, I hasten to add, because it is brilliant. But I was watching it thinking, OK, what she wanted me to talk about, what she wanted me to talk about. And the thing that I thought that she was so interested in is the idea of storytelling because at the beginning there's this idea that Hannah has just assembled a, a, a tale out of these murky facts and she hasn't done her research and actually it then becomes a very different type of um, storytelling. But culturally we, we are in this age of storytelling, the age of opinion and who gives a toss about facts when you can base all your decisions on opinions and I'm actually in the midst of writing a piece on my site about how fake news is, because I feel like we've read so much about fake news, but how fake news is affecting Generation Z, the generation below us. And I think it's because they are in this time where opinion is trumping facts. Um, it feels really weird to keep using the word trumping because obviously I bloody Trump. And I, I realised this actually because a bunch of teenagers wrote quite a lot on my Instagram when I was in Colombia and I, you can read more about it on the post I wrote on Colombia on my website. But they didn't like something, a fact that I had shared in my caption and they kept on saying you're a one-sided journalist. You know, you shouldn't, you're, you shouldn't write about stuff you don't know which is the basic tenet of journalism that you write about things you don't know you you learn about something yes you become a connoisseur on the job (coughs) and then you write about it yeah and they were saying you know you're one-sided a fact is not one-sided a fact is a fact an opinion is one-sided but what mesmerized and intrigued and worried me all in equal measures is that um they, they did not realise the difference between opinion and fact. And I felt like at the beginning of this episode, there were lots of really interesting notes on fact and fiction and post-truth and storytelling and all those things now that have allowed people like Milo Yiannopoulos to, mm. to, to become so incredibly popular, although, thank God, he now seems to be in his demise. But culturally, there is this idea, I think, that we have a loose relationship in the truth and the, and the early... The earliness of the episode really realised that, and then of course it. it I think it's still being examined, a, isn't it? It's a separate thing. It's a story. totally separate yeah. thing to to um, women and victimhood and, yes, and, and sexual abuse. Yes, but it's something that's observed at the top. So yeah, the idea of female storytelling um, versus this grey area of sexual abuse and storytelling in general, mind not even just female storytelling. Yes, is seen in this girls episode. It's also a very hot topic at the moment, thanks to Casey Affleck's win for best actor for his performance in Manchester by the Sea. Have you seen at it? the Oscars? Yeah, it's an astonishing film. Yeah, I really want to I do really want you to see it. You must watch it. Well, I can't get anyone to come with me because obviously I'll it's see like, it again with you. Is it not quite suicidal? Yeah, it's very sad. Okay. It's stuck with me for days and days. Okay. Um 
And, you know, undoubtedly, he is, he's astonishing. Mm. And I, I hate to say it, he is incredible. It was a sensitive, beautiful performance. And it was very, very moving. Well, it so, was intelligent. It was, yeah. I mean, there have been gifts and memes aplenty, as there always are about Oscar winners, to be fair. But Casey Affleck is obviously a particularly sensitive example, um, which we will get on to in a minute. But there yeah, have been all these gifts suggesting that various Hollywood stars did not believe he was worthy of his Best Actor award. So there's Brie Larson not clapping, supposedly throwing shade. Denzel Washington biting his lip, supposedly throwing shade. Chrissy Teigen asleep, tweeting, wait, what happened? I was asleep. Dolly is throwing shade. Dolly thinks she is throwing shade. I think she's genuinely asleep. I've discovered this woman recently way too late and I'm convinced we're meant to be best friends. You're like mega basic as well because loving Chrissy Teigen is like... Is it basic? Yeah, incredibly basic. I'm just obsessed They are like couple goals. She's so funny. Anyway, all this controversy is, of course, because of the murky stories that have emerged from Casey Affleck's personal life. So the murky stories are Casey Affleck directed a film called I'm Still Here and two women who worked on that film uh, filed separate sexual harassment allegations. So that was a film in 2010. It was the sort of semi-autobiographical film with Joaquin Phoenix. So I haven't I haven't seen it, actually, but it is meant to be a very interesting film. So these two women... And settled, it was settled out of court. Settled yeah. out of court. Um, I didn't actually know this and it was... Um, I went to go see Manchester by the Sea and was not only completely bowled over by Casey Affleck's performance. I thought he was um, one of the sexiest men I'd ever seen on screen. <laughs> I remember this. So your, your Twitter this. U-turn, as my, you call it. My famous Twitter, one of my many Twitter U-turns, sadly, there have been a few, where I went, I took to Twitter We've to all go, read the zeitgeist wrong, Dolly. Oh, God, I had to go to Twitter and went, oh, God, Casey Affleck, he's a bit of a fox, isn't he? Like, so basic. And Did then, you get loads of people being like, yeah, loads and loads Dolly, of tweets like, being like, this it. is really inappropriate, like, educate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to go, sorry, guys, didn't know. Take it back, he's not hot. Um, anyway, so he has been accused of not one but two charges. Both settled out of court. It's not looking great. The question is whether you can separate the art from the artist. What do you think, Pandora? Do you think you can assess and publicly reward a person's talent separately to what they have done in their private life. I'm trying to eat this lolly subtly. It's, it's not subtle. Is it not? It's really hard to eat a <laughs> lolly. sound like a bloody quietly. baby with a dummy next to me. <laughs> so I was having a Twitter chat with the brilliant film critic and uh, culture writer Jonathan Dean. And he was saying that, you know, he genuinely, kind of like what you've said, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on that, but he said genuinely he thought that, more wine, Dolly, uh, <laughs> genuinely he thought that Casey Affleck was the best male lead he had seen in years and years and years and that no one came close. Yeah, he was. But that nobody was really interested in whether he was the best lead because they were interested in the sort of disturbing sexual underpinnings. And and it made me wonder, can you believe that someone is deserving, as in emotionally free, so post-truth free, emotionally free, unbiased, allocation of award based on talent and merit can you believe that someone can deserve an award if they have not are not of sound moral fiber and of course if this was the case in the film industry then roman polanski woody allen mel gibson amongst others wouldn't be working anymore but if we focus on the current situation can you separate them no i don't think you can I don't think he can separate them. So you, you would say that he's brilliant in Manchester on the Sea, but based on what you know of him, you don't think he deserves the accolade? Accolade. I don't. Accolade. 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 Okay. Accolade. No, I don't think. He, I don't think it's appropriate 
for him to have been given an Oscar. I think it's really dangerous to elevate someone who's been accused of sexual harassment. I think it is very disrespectful mm. to the victims. And I think, I don't think talent should ever use that morality. Do you think it's a bit like the Chad Evans case? Yeah, exactly. I know he was found guilty by a court, whereas Casey Affleck wasn't. Well, it does make, it's difficult. I, what if it isn't true with Casey Affleck? Imagine, mm. I know it's a slight chance, and I have to say, settling out of court for two different women does not bode well. No, it's not great. And but also, I think we're obviously in a time where the default is we we believe those women that accuse because it's it's so small the amount of people who accuse and, and it turn out to be fabricated mm. and i think you know this is this is well trodden ground mm. i think it's about the attitude and the attitude it's the same with oscar pistorius it's the same with brock turner it's the same with i'm watching this oj simpson documentary at the moment which that. is 24 hours long <laughs> I'm going to be 30 by the time I finish it. Um, But I spoke to my mum about the O.J. Simpson thing once and I'm saying to her, like, I don't understand why it was such a thing and such a story. And she was like, oh, you don't, you don't get it. Everyone loved him. He was this American, you know, hero. And I was like, well, no, I don't really get that at all because I don't really think however good an actor someone is, however good at football they are, it doesn't make them exempt from the same fundamentals of morality as the rest of us. And I'm interested in whether, um, I don't know enough about the O.J. Simpson's one to know if race played into it but what Jonathan Dean was saying is that he thought that regardless of all that um, Casey Affleck is accused of the comparisons with Nate Parker who is a black American director who was disgraced I I mean I don't think he managed I I think he literally no one would work with him after Mm. accusations of sexual harassment he might to be fair I haven't read enough on this so from what I believe he was found guilty and Casey Affleck obviously settled out of court. So yeah, there is and no, that it, is murkier, and which that, is the word, yeah, as you say. And that makes it different. But um, and, and so the comparison is not valid. But a lot of people have suggested that Nate Parker was treated far, far more... Gravely, yeah. yeah, gravely than Casey Affleck has. Which because, do you think race came into place well, there, perhaps? Well, people have suggested that race came into place and also, obviously, that Casey Affleck is Ben friggin' Affleck's mm. brother. Mm. Um, on to the other... Oscar chat because there is a lot this year Mm. fertile ground I'm finding all this la la land backlash um, fucking tedious people have gone from I love it so much it's so lovely and singy songy and like uplifting and oh it's so sort of brings everything together in the world to it's derivative and empty and hollow and why does it win anything and I hate the world well I am that arsehole I'm afraid okay all right, come on then arsehole because I must say I I loved la la land I don't think it should have won any Oscars at all because I here's what I think about la la land can't you be grown up about it and accept that it has won the Oscars rather than shitting on poor Emma Stone uh, no because I because <laughs> I really love Emma Stone but I would be feeling pretty gutted if I were Natalie Portman and I lost out in that category I loved La La Land I found it charming and joyful and magical and exactly what we need and delightful as a package I adored it but I don't think there was one element of it that was standalone enough to win an Oscar I don't think the screenplay could have won an Oscar it was plotless I don't think the score was good enough none of the songs are memorable I don't think the direction was good enough other than those three notes which is the what which is how everyone comes back to me when I say that I don't think the performance was strong enough Ryan Gosling sang like Barney the Dinosaur throughout the entire yes, thing yes but 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 Moulin Rouge Singing and that's not great. Yeah, for sure. They shouldn't have got Oscars. I don't think they did get Oscars. Cool. We're going to go through the whole back catalog now. Great. Um, see Dolly arsehole all the time. Emma, Emma Stone was charming in that film. 
And if there was an Oscar for the overall charm award, absolutely should have gone to La La Land uh, and to me. Um, but <laughs> I just feel really sad for them. I haven't seen Jackie and I do want to. Um, when you see it, you'll understand why, know, why I'm getting Monica's in a twist because it was so... I don't know so... where you've been finding all this time to go to the cinema, old girl. Welcome <laughs> to we... being a freelancer. Welcome I've, to the dark side. I haven't managed to find time to do that yet, but you're also incredibly busy. So well done for juggling your time do you even know why? better because I me. wasn't drinking in January, so I just constantly went to the cinema to stop myself from reaching for the bottle. Yeah, to be fair, I have been visiting the bottle a fair, a fair amount. Um, I haven't seen, yeah, I haven't seen Jackie. It's very powerful I know, I've heard Natalie Portman is amazing and her accent is amazing. Yeah. But it does just feel really uncouth to be trouncing her now she has won. But anyway, should we move on to the amazing gaff? Oh yeah, I love this gaff. This is the gaff of a lifetime. We'll never see a gaff that bad again. I, I wish think. I'd watched it live. I wish I know, I'd been awake too. at 4am to watch it. PwC accountants. Right. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Crunched through my lolly and broken the fourth wall of lolly Um So the, yeah, the, the gaff we are talking about is obviously, oh my God, you might have to talk about gaffs for just while I swallow my lolly. Pandora has has decided to crunch You've got three lolly. lollies here. The new studios are So she's, awesome. we're just very patiently, it's not like we're you're paying by the hour now. <laughs> we'll just wait very patiently for Pandora to um, eat through her lolly. Oh, and um, then... When she decides okay, she's sorry. So good I'll and ready just, enough to carry on with the podcast. Or you can just allow me to be a little um, a little more mouthy than usual. That's pretty mouthy. So basically, the, yeah, the gaff, obviously, is that um, Warren Beatty and... Who did he... Um, I've had a mind Fade on away. And Fade on away. Were given the wrong envelope for best movie. Yeah. Um, they were given one that said La La Land, but it actually said Emma Stone it La La Land. It said best actress, yeah. So it said best actress. So Warren Beatty kind of pauses and then just says... La La Land, and they get three speeches in until one of the producers of La La Land goes, guys, it's Moonlight, I'm sorry, we've got to give it to our friends at Moonlight, this is not a joke. He's like, this is not a joke. And there are producers running across the background who actually apparently weren't producers, they were PwC accountants, so that's Price Waterhouse Cooper. Big. I'm still confused about how, what the link okay, is. Okay, so PricewaterhouseCoopers is a massive accounting firm, and they also deal with the balloting side of the Oscars. So, for example, there's a woman called Martha Ruiz, who is the co-head of the Oscars balloting team at PwC, and she is in charge of counting the votes of the six thousand members of the Academy Award ballots. And um, in addition, she's also like the tax partner at PwC. But I suppose what they do is they're this massive global financing. F- accounting firm Mm -hmm. so I imagine they have all sorts of rigours and procedures for counting 6,000 ballots the irony is that these rigours and procedures fully failed Um, but I was watching the two PwC two of the PwC accountants on this morning and it was like they weren't accountants it was like they wanted to become celebs so they were being asked, you know, what was it like? You were obviously in the queue for the taxi rank. And one of them goes, uh, not the taxi rank, the limo queue. <laughs> so I think I think some of them were quite uh, quite enjoying really the scandal. Really found their moment, yeah. yeah. But obviously there was a real... People were really up in arms because it did really ruin it for Moonlight winning that. I it, mean, Barry it, it Jenkins was, was a bit like, thanks. It was and also sad really for crap everyone. For, crap for... Crap yeah. for... Crap for Warren Beatty. Yeah, it was... It was I, I felt really most, sorry. I felt <laughs> most sorry for poor old Warren Beatty because he obviously you can see it was actually Faye Dunaway who read it. He opened it and he didn't want to read it aloud because he knew it was wrong. But everyone thought he was doing this sort of doddery old grandpa trying to make a crap joke by not saying it for suspense. <laughs> like Bruce, didn't Bruce Forsyth used to do that a lot? Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> like they th- and it's it, obviously he didn't know what to say. So then Faye Dunaway just read it aloud and then he had to explain afterwards that he wasn't joking and he just kind of sounded like Larry David. And also I did quite enjoy though that he really. He, he was one of the angriest. You know, they tried to 
PricewaterhouseCoopers said, you know, can we take the envelope to investigate what's happening? He said, no, no one is getting this except Barry Jenkins from Moonlight, which seemed slightly... Yeah, because he's old Hollywood. He understands this is but a sacred does, thing. But like... why does Barry need something that says Emma Stone La La Land? Oh, I Surely know. you'd want the one that says Moonlight. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, and also... Uh, but I... it's, it was particularly sad for Moonlight because it could have been such a history-making moment, particularly the subject of that film, you know, and now all we will remember, sadly, is the gaff. That's all we remember about But I also, I love moment. how the gaff has, you know, obviously grown into this momentous thing, like everything Oscar-related does. I also love that, like, any year, the memes centre around Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, it doesn't matter what he's doing. <laughs> and obviously, Paul Leonardo DiCaprio, he's never won an Oscar. The memes are always going on about he hasn't won an, an Oscar. Now, apparently, he's somehow to blame for the wrong best film announcement. Um, I don't know how we've got to that, but there's, there's also all of these sort of counterclaims. Because he's so bitter. <laughs> but, I, I, yeah, but, I mean, it's not like he put Leonardo DiCaprio on the thing. But I would feel sorry for him if he did not have a never-ending supply of Victoria's Secret supermodels. Yeah, I'm sure he'll find uh, a bosom to cry into. <laughs> anyway, we could talk, we could talk about these uh, gaffes all day. We could talk day. about the gaff all day. In fact, it is literally all me and my flatmate India talking about. She keeps sending me voice recordings of the man going, it's moonlight, it's moonlight. I know, I want um, to read more on that, actually. Right, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about workplace banter. Is banter the worst word ever invented? It must be. Vile. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to talk about... So this is a... Um, so this is a story that has been in uh, in the news in the in the past week, and so a gay hedge fund manager. It is important that he's gay. I'm not just that you know, not just being really pedantic. There. A gay hedge fund manager, Paul Newton, who is 43. Um, he was dismissed after trading losses in the wake of Brexit. And he is suing his city firm for £1 million because he claims he was dismissed uh, for homophobia um, and slurs about his sexuality. In his claim, he states that he was subjected to kind of persistent homophobia um, with his colleagues calling him Pocahontas, princess, bitch, and other ones that I don't actually really want to read out. And also that his partner was referred to as a Brazilian rent boy. And he said that his colleagues mimicked oral and anal sex when he was in the vicinity or talking to talking to other people. He says, I'm a conservative guy. It was very upsetting to hear things. Now, this sounds really awful. His firm have said in response that um, Paul started inappropriate and crude conversations in the office and could not complain about the, the humiliating environment that he fostered. He has said that his language was used in a different context with no intent to offend. So I think this is really interesting because... Um, I mean, all those slurs sound really homophobic. I agree. It's completely inappropriate. But I'm interested that the, the firm's response was, well, you created this this environment. So um, Because you used the language in reference to yourself. Because you used the language. And I think it's... I think it's an interesting one about the the ownership of language and who has the right to yeah. use. It's interesting because a part of me, uh, the, the majority of me, feels that the oppressed have had these horrific words and terms used against them for so many years, they should be allowed to use them however they want in reference to themselves. Or if that, you know, if that is a method of control or ownership or empowerment, and who the hell are we to tell them that we find it offensive? And then on the flip side, what does your mind But then the, on the flip side, I wish, I wish, oh, I'm worried about saying this, but I just wish I didn't have to hear those words at all, you know, in the workplace or otherwise. Well, because I do think that, yes, I prefer to live in a world where we, where I never hear those words, but perhaps that's a very privileged positioning because those words have never been used against me. But I don't think you're coming from a personal bias in this. I think you are right to say it 
in the specific context of confusion. Um, mm. I think it fosters confusion. I think it's... I understand that I think while we're still in a time of such prevalent prejudice, it's pie in the sky for me to say... I would prefer a world where we just don't say them. It's, it's so much more complicated, I think. Of course it's more complicated than that. But I also think because we are in, as you say, this time of privilege and basically I think we need to make things as simple as possible for people to behave well. Mm. I really mm. do. I think it has to be really straightforward of what is okay and what is not okay until people properly, properly understand. And I think, I don't think you help yourself by perpetuating words that can so easily be misinterpreted and turned into hurtful weapons. Um, You know, I was at a Drake concert recently, and this isn't about sexually charged terms, but racially charged ones, and every third word was the N-word, or or calling out bitches. And everyone in my box was singing along and dancing, and I thought, I can't sing along and dance. That's not my word to take ownership of. It's completely inappropriate, I felt, for me, as a white woman, to be singing the N-word. And that was a that was an environment where I thought, hold on, if I'm confused and I feel complicated by this as a journalist who works in the media and I'm around language all the time, we talk about language mm. constantly mm. and we understand the potency of language, mm. then it felt like an you know an incredibly tremulous line to be treading. And I I think that we can only really come to a point where people aren't putting their feet in it the whole time if we remove that flammable rhetoric. So yes, of course, there's an element of taking ownership and of of turning that word into something powerful rather than demeaning but I also think it just leads us further and further away from an environment. Well well, basically what you're saying is which I think I agree with is that sadly we live in a world of people that are like quite stupid or unenlightened and it's too complicated for them to grasp that so it will always be used incorrectly. Yeah I mean I still have to think twice before I say certain stuff like you know calling a boy wet or oh you mm. big girl's blouse. Mm. Um, well also or, like Drake should not be calling women bitches anyway that's because it's that's not well like you said yeah. it's not his word to take but no. also or another one that I find myself sometimes doing is oh my god I look insane obviously that's yeah, lame because, lame I got called out about lame, that. Or, or you know when, when children go oh my god that's so gay I mean there is so much that we could all that we could all learn and we and need I just, to get into the habit I, I agree with you on that we all need to be I really, practicing yeah I catch myself like because also it's only it's only being on eggshells for a bit and then when it becomes habit it's not being on eggshells I just, anymore I think it would be a great start if there was an absence of all these derogatory words regardless of context and intent because saying oh I meant that when I said that but he didn't mean that because he's not experienced that it gets confusing you know when you have the words on a page and a story regaled through second third and even fourth parties, the context and the intent, all you're left with is the bold, bad words. Should we have some high-low questions? <laughs> should we finish off our... Yes. Should so... we finish off with our, with our segment, Ask the High-Low? So we used, to do high-low. This with, we used to do this with um, Pandoli. Thank you so much, by the way, and please do email us. They can yes. be long or short dilemmas, silly, whatever. The high-low show at gmail.com or at the high-low show on Twitter. Okay, email number one. First off, me and my friend want to say we love Pandoli and we can't wait for the high-low. You gave us something to look forward to every week. Thanks. Thank you, darling. Secondly, we'd like to remain anonymous in this question. So our current dilemma is that we are two straight women living with two boys who we have developed feelings for. Weird, right? 
yeah, you're not living in Friends. They are leaving in a few months and we're contemplating acting on those feelings at some point. However, from living together, we have found out that they have some issues and slash or lack a full understanding of feminism and other issues of social justice, such as systemic racism, which are very important to us. Is it worth digging deeper and seeing if they will be more understanding? They are generally very kind or just forgetting about it all entirely. Is romance with a roommate just absolutely stupid to begin with? Um, well, I think there's two different points. Romance with a roommate. I think is mad. Mm, yeah, I think I, it's a really stupid idea. I don't think it's a great idea. But as for, um, I love that it's, so, I just think it's really lovely that you're like, you know, can I, can I commit to this person when I don't think they're as kind of politically aware as I am? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think you learn. We all learn. I'm learning every day. Teach him. The only, I, I do love that yes. these are two separate men who seem to have exactly the same issues. No. But all I can say to you, two separate women and you're two separate men and, both scenarios might not be identical, is, um, is he open to learning? Is he interested in your opinion? If so, yes. If not, he's just quite lols and lives in the next door room. Avoid. I completely agree with Pandora. I think give him a chance. Obviously, it's not your job to be educating this man, but it is your responsibility as a liberal-minded person to be opening up a conversation and listening to their side and, and trying to help them understand your way of seeing. And then hopefully they'll realise they're being idiots. But and also you don't have to share exactly the same views. My no, but my friends. No, I completely you, know, you don't have to share the same views, but, but if he's racism, a race, yeah. Oh and, God, was there racism? Yeah, there? racism oh, and okay. misogyny is sort of a deal breaker, I no, think. In, I thought, in love. I thought I thought it was about learning about feminism. I have to say that I have a lot of friends who still need to learn about you know, all the types yeah. of feminism. Yeah. Um, we've got another question from Dolly's dad saying, wishing you much success on your venture. Love Dolly's dad. Really not a question, Which dad. Is, yeah, that's not a question. Um, and we have um, another hilarious one from uh, the writer Daisy Buchanan saying um, that she wants to declare her massive fandom already of the Hilo show before we've uh, launched. And um, this isn't a question, but I think that every week you should challenge us yourselves to do something high and low at the same time, e.g. eating a pack of Dutch original quail eggs whilst wearing an old school leave hoodie and no pants which I'm also, doing right now also what does the high-low smell like would you consider releasing a fragrance no and you could wear high and low separately or layer them for the full experience Daisy I wonder if you're high <laughs> whilst writing this I love this Daisy let's talk I know that you're passionate about perfume let's make it happen passionate about perfume she god. loves perfume no I know it's just the way you said I know you're passionate about perfume thank god you don't work in advertising I have a question I'm in my early 20s and I know 100% that I want to have children one day but I also love 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 my career and my great single life and I don't see things changing for quite a while read at least 10 more years of Hashtag girlbossfun. But the women in my family have a history of early menopause in their late 30s, and I know that I'm at my reproductive peak right now. Is it too soon to look into freezing my eggs? My friends seem to think it's a bit weirdly keen to want to do this now, and it's a really expensive procedure with lots and lots of hassle. You have to have scans and appointments and things every day for a month or something. But I also really know that I was born to have a family, and the best chance of that happening is if I freeze my eggs. What does she do? She do um, I think she does it. I, I, yes. I really think that you, you should, if this is something you know you want, I think it is like a feminist act. This is a brilliant thing. You want children. It's nothing to do with wanting to meet a man. You want to bank that for yourself so you don't have to make a bad decision and and be at the mercy of a man's choice over you. It annoys me that your friends you. are saying it's weirdly keen. It's not like it's you're not going keen. into the street jumping someone and saying, I want to have children right now. You know, you're, you're thinking ahead because you have a very real biological um, fact in your family 
family, which is is that they all suffer from very early menopause. And also, it doesn't make you... You've got to stop this thing that it makes a woman some sort of psycho for deciding that at some point in the future she wants children. That's a completely natural desire. And if you want to take matters into your own hands, it's your body. She does... Fucking go for she it. She raises this really interesting point. She says, why do we not discuss fertility more as a society? And I completely agree. I'd like to think that's the next step of... Mm. You know how it feels like every year there's like a thing? I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, hopefully. I'd, I'd, hopefully. Hopefully, maybe the it next become thing... A more open discussion. Might be, might be fertility. Um, I say go for it and yeah, I think that you're absolutely. being really responsible. Absolutely, so do I. Don't let anyone tell you you're weird. Just say, no. um, just say, okay, all right. And also, we'll it's none of their business. Just say to them, okay, well, in 15 years when you guys are having children and I'm possibly having the menopause, tell me then if you think yeah, I'm weird exactly. and not freezing my own. Exactly. And you may, incidentally, can I just say, being single and having hashtag girlboss fun, please do do that. You're in your early 20s. Um, but also, don't feel like you can't settle down, have children and have girlboss fun. I have I'm sitting of... opposite the biggest girlboss I know <laughs> and she's Mrs. Married. I have lots of friends with babies who are still having hashtag girl boss fun. I really need to stop saying that. It's kind of kind of awful how many times I said it. Um, so don't feel like your life is over. Episode one done of the high low. Thank you to everyone who sent us questions. Please, as we say, tweet us, email us. Thank you very much to SNK Studios for hosting us for our first podcast. Thank you to Lauren Benstead for the jingle. Um, everyone who helps with the artwork, Eva Salvi, Fash Gif, Natalia Bagnishka. Thank you to our lovely loyal listeners. We've really appreciated your support. Thank and... you to our producer, Charlie. I mean, we, we uh, maybe fans? we think we are in the Oscars I now. I think we think we've done an Oscars. Let's yes. wrap it up. Um, and we will see you next week. Just please do note that I am going to uh, Jamaica for a wedding. <clears throat> so uh, next week's episode, episode two, will be coming to you on Friday. I am literally coming straight from the airport to record a podcast with Dolly. And do you know why? Because you're a girl boss. Because <laughs> I'm a girl boss. Thank you for listening. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.